Hey everyone, it's uh, Bob and Chris Chipman here again. Welcome to the Chipman Brothers Tangent Podcast. Um, as always, I'm Chris Chipman. And I'm Bob Chipman. And uh, I just want to remind you all that um, if you've been enjoying this and uh, you want to hear more things like it, um, this can be found at patreon.com slash the chippa and also be found on my twitter and bob's been sending it out as well so appreciate all the feedback and uh would love to get more um how are you doing today bob i'm pretty good i'm pretty good and folks he is telling the truth this is uh this has previously been uh part of uh, my patreon uh, supported projects this uh this podcast is now supported through uh chris's patreon that's uh the chippa T-H-E-C-H-I-P-P-A, and uh, that is, uh, if you want to see this going and you like what we do, please uh, please make your contributions there so that uh, he can continue to produce this stuff. Awesome. Thank you, Bob. I'm, 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 I'm well, by the way, but I just want to make sure that that got uh, properly plugged. Excellent. Yes, shameless self-promotion. Or exactly. Or third-party promotion, as it were. So uh, since since we last talked, which um, hopefully if we have this up on time, we'll be nearly two weeks spot on, as I've said, to get a, a new episode of this out. So we're going to try to stay consistent with that. Um, Bob and I saw the uh, first performance of Mystery Science Theater Live, Watch Out for Snakes, in Boston, Mass. Yes, we did. At the Schubert Theater. And uh, um, Bob, I'll start with you. Uh, for, for those out there that haven't gotten a chance to see this either because it hasn't made it to them yet or um they're unsure as to whether or not they'd be interested in seeing it um what was your reaction to to this oh my reaction was that it was a terrific time that was uh that was a ball and i'm glad we went and did it that was just funny as hell great to see the uh part of the cast uh and uh joel hodgson uh, up there uh, doing uh, doing this live. I've never been to uh, one of the live riffs before. Um, they used to be a thing back around when there was the Conventiacon, and uh, they've done a few events like that. But uh, I've I've seen like the Fathom event stuff that uh, the Rift Tracks guys do, but never uh, for one of these. And it was uh, it was quite an event. A nice, fun, uh, fun little evening out. Uh, they put together a nice thing. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Um, it was, you know, as I've said on the prior podcasts and talking about uh mystery science theater the uh, the new season um on netflix as we talked um you know this was one of the very first really geeky things that i got deeply involved in i mean before i mean you and i had nintendos super nintendos you know we we watched movies on late night tv but you know this was the early 90s i was probably eight maybe when we watched this the first time maybe 10 so this was the stay up with your older brother till midnight and watch Mystery Science Theater 3000. So some of the first introductions I had to some of these movies like this were from this show. Um, yeah. You know, seeing them for the first time being riffed. So um, this this was a surreal um, dream come true for me. I mean, you know, you're sitting in a theater. They, they have the set set up to look like the show. Um, and, you know, more so even than the than the new season. This being performed live had that cool kind of made by hand, like late high school, early college sort of stage play feel to it that really felt like the original show. And I know the new season tried to do that, too, but it had some additional bells and whistles and special guests throughout the season yeah. and everything. 
Yeah. This, I mean, especially with Joel coming back out at the beginning with the with the old laugh-a-meter that the snakes popped out of and, and him running around the crowd with a video camera to get the crowd reaction and to get different angles from the screen, it felt like it was like a three- or four-person man job to put this whole thing on. And that's how yeah. the original show felt. And, and, I mean, you know, we're sitting there in the theater. Um, Jonah comes out. The bots come out after... We did a sing-along to the damn opening theme song of the show. And this crowd is filled with fathers and mothers and their sons and daughters. I mean, there was probably 30% of the theater was young kids, and it was a packed house. And that that really struck a chord with me at how cool that was. That it's not just, <laughs> you know, it's not just a whole bunch of us in you know our 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, coming to our Comic-Con or to our you know, Mystery Science Theater or Star Trek convention. There's a whole new generation of people that are willing to sit down for two hours and watch them riff Ega, for Christ's sakes. Mm. And, and, and I hope um, I hope other cities, you know, if, if you haven't seen this and are trying to decide, I can only imagine that the second Secret Night is equally as worth it as Ega was, right? I, I haven't yeah. seen it for myself, but man, if, if you can, get out to it because uh, yes. it, was, it was just wonderful. Um. And again, all new riffs. Like they promised it, mm-hmm. but I think aside from "Watch Out for Snakes," <laughs> there's there's probably not really a repeated riff in the whole thing. Uh, there, there's the uh, uh, "That's Why I'm Screaming." Oh yeah, uh, that's was, right. Was, 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 was <laughs> that, that's you right. have to do that. I mean, there's there's really no other joke that fits there. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. So yeah, but, no, it uh, was. Yeah, I... Go ahead, Bob. Sorry. No, no, you go ahead. No, no, I, I had a no thought. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, it, you know, I it was it was just such a. I agree. It was just such a terrific time, and it was so cool to to see them do it. It was, you know, this this whole thing has been a great, not just a, a nostalgia throwback. You know, I like having the stuff that's from the original show back. I like having the series back in general, but the new show really does, especially towards the end of it on on Netflix. It, it feels definitely like its own thing like it's not just a hey remember when this was cool revival and uh this really you know that we so much of this is even though it's one of the older movies it really does show that the the new cast and the new writers and uh the the new energy it has a newer different feel you know uh the the original riff of ega is mostly about you know um, a, a group of actors and writers who were younger who who were of the era that Ega comes out of you know Ega is a movie from the early early 1960s uh looks every bit like it and the original riff has like some sort of backward looking kind of oh hey remember that nonsense nostalgia and a lot of references to cultural stuff that was happening at the time very funny um this one is much more about uh you know how cringy and and odd the uh since this is a, a teenage romance movie also and how just weird a lot of the assumptions of the of this kind of the premise of this movie is it's basically like an archie comic story about a caveman yeah and a uh, classic archie not like riverdale archie and it's uh it's it's pretty bizarre um, and seeing it filtered through, you know, you have um, basically three Generation X and uh, and younger, really, comedians. I think I might be older than Jonah, uh, right? I and, think we uh, both that's... are. I think Jonah might yeah. be 32. 
Yeah, are are we older than all of the the main cast on uh, on Mystery Science Theater other than Patton Oswalt? I'm not sure. Is Felicia Day younger than us? Oh, I think so. You think so? I I I think I think so. I don't know. It's not it's not a it's it's not like a, a big thing, but it feels like it's if if we're if if we are older than them, it's only by a few years, so it's very contemporary, and it's a much more contemporary. You know, the original riff. You know, it's about you know the cars and about the music and, and about the stuff. And this one, you know, they they are kind of like lasered in on wow, you know the uh, this whole thing with the caveman. It's played as like one of those like innocent kind of monster movies. Like, right. uh, like I was like like I was a teenage werewolf. You know, is it's it's a monster movie, but it's teenagers and it's uh, you know happy one. And you watch this one, it's like wow, they really are just dragging this girl around like a prop. That's really unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, everything <laughs> with the girl's relationship with her dad. Hell, the girl's yeah, relationship yeah. with Iga. Um, yeah, is, well, and, and the dad basically, like, thrusting her at him. <laughs> it's fine. It, yeah. it just just let, let him manhandle you. It's cool. Well, because, like, the whole thing is that she is that they're trapped in the cave with, with Iga, who is a caveman, and is, you know, and it's like, you know, no, just, just be nice to him, so, and distract him, and eat the food, and say that you're hungry. The, the subtext is to keep, you know, Ega from assaulting this, like, like, the, this is what, what even back then the audience understands is what's happening, but in the movie, it's played as though this must be amusing, right? Right. But, uh, it is, it is not quite so amusing. And then you've got uh, the bumbling fool Archie character, which they had so oh. much fun with in this one. <laughs> yeah, Arch Hall Jr. is uh, that that's that's unfortunate. That's all very unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, you know, pe- people are going to see this. This is still touring. I don't want to blow much from it because it it really is very fresh, like you said. And um, y- y- you're right. Seeing them riff and not like not have it be like you know like you said someone that grew up close or was at least a kid during that era riffing on it now completely removed all of the gags about you know well why doesn't he just pull out his iphone and i think there was a few jokes in there about drones and things like that yeah they yeah. just wouldn't have existed in 1992 even <laughs> as a as a joke yeah. you could make and um so it it's very fresh and yet i feel like you said the show progressed and became its own thing. And, you know, the first few episodes, it was very heavy handed into the, you know, okay, Jonah's going to do his own thing. This is his shtick. This is what he's more, you know, prone to. There's like some musical numbers and some other things. And the new guys doing the voices of the bots had some fun. And then it, it slowly, not only did it meld into its own thing, but it also meld into a good homage to what came before it too. And and to see this live yeah. on stage, it feels like a transplanted, new, refreshing version of the old show just on stage in front of you. Brand new cast, brand yeah. new ideas, brand new writing. But it just felt, seeing it live on stage felt even more close to home than the show did. And I, I don't yeah. mean that as a negative to the show. I just mean that it brought it full circle for me. Um, mm. And man... I cannot imagine how difficult that must be. Like recording mm-hmm. that show in long form, you know, from reading everything I read with Jonah and interviews with Joel about doing the original show, 
you know, you're doing one or two episodes, two hour long episodes of this a day, often one taking it, you know what I mean? And to do that, where the only people in the room you have to talk to are two guys five to eight feet below you with a puppet. And then to Mm -hmm. have them do that on stage, you know, where you've got, you know, five, six hundred people, thousand people staring at you and you're standing there and the only people you have to talk to and save your ass are a couple of robots. And there were flubs. Of course, there's flubs. This is live. And they they improved it and handled it well. Um, Hampton Yount showed off some range, you know, on the show. He's doing a very straight crow, you know, um, his version of crow. And on this, he got to do a couple of little like different voices and things and play with it. Um, and I loved that. And, um, what, yeah. what's her name? Who does, uh, who does, um, Ma Forrester's clone? What's her name? Rebecca Hansen. Rebecca Hansen. Who's, who's also touring as the character, right? Um, that she's yes. the same one that plays her on the show. I just wanted to get that right. Um, she's awesome. She was hilarious. She, she played, you know, the, the transplanted version of the Mads. Well, they did their fun mm-hmm. little, almost like Rocky horror esque like with with Jonah playing the ridiculously obnoxious 1950s guy with a guitar song while she danced around the crowd and um it, it was all yeah. it was all great it just it felt it felt just like the original show this is weird i almost feel like it's wrong that i'm seeing this and not in like a dirty or a gross way just in a like this seems like the idea of a guy and a couple of his friends and they just put up, popped a camera in front of it in the basement and they don't care if you get the jokes or the references. And, and, they, and they are, I yeah. love that about it. Yeah, they are, they are devoted to the kitschiness. You know, they, they've built a lot of their, uh, of the whole like physical gags for the show around spring snakes, which are just the oldest joke. Yeah. And man, they, they uh, were but, having but it, so yeah. much fun. Yeah, they were. And it's, and you know, it's fun. People, uh, you ha- you have a good time with stuff like this, yeah. You know, or I do at least. I I have a good time. You know, it's it feels kitschy, and you know when they were doing the reboot, that's one of the things that had concerned me, and that I'm glad to have uh, you know not uh, seen that I had did not need to be worried. Is that even though it's it's an upgraded version of kitsch, like they they actually use a blue screen now and pull the camera back once in a while, you know, and they right. have. Uh, like the the army of henchmen in uh, in Moon Thirteen is uh, it's not uh, it still feels like a a very deliberately handmade jokey thing. All of the invention exchange stuff, you know, is all uh, it's all prop comedy stuff from uh, from Joel's old uh, old life as a prop comic, which which is it's just it's it's charming. It is, it is, it's it's charming. It's way more charming than it is actually funny. And I think that's Joel's whole idea is that, you know, it's supposed to be a guy trying too hard. You know what I mean? Almost to, to trying too hard and not caring if you really are are coming along with it or not. The other thing that I, I feel is the jokes, even the new stuff, it, it always has like, like I said, that feeling of, I almost don't fully get the joke. Like, you're almost yeah. you're almost too in the know in a small group where I I might get nine tenths of what you're talking about and that last tenth makes me want to go and look it up and learn and find out yeah. so I can be in on the joke next time. 
you know, mm. and and I I love that about it that I can still after all these years watch it and feel like I'm not fully in on it. You know, like I I have right. to try a little harder and learn a little more and and watch a little more of these movies. You know, they're they're pulling things out in you know in Ega that you know we've we've all seen Ega on the original show and even their joke at the beginning when Kinga goes and I've brought you Ega. Oh God, that one! Come on, <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. it's kind of the joke and it's like it and still it felt like it almost felt like going sitting through it the first time again. Because they had yeah. so much fun. And Joel's entire gag at the beginning of, I have a pristine, beautiful print of a really crappy movie. And yeah. it's, it, so he's still, there's still that love of it. Like, you know, not only am I going to show you something that is just jokably bad, um, but I'm going to make sure you get to see it in the best possible way. And, and he said that about Netflix. Yeah. He goes, you know, we made sure for the Netflix show we got you some really good-looking crappy movies. <laughs> and right, it's yeah. like, and, and well, I love, I love a, that there's re, yeah. there's that love of it. You know what I mean? Like we want to mm. preserve these things, not necessarily because we want to hang them on our wall and and kick them while they're down and make fun of them, but we're elevating how bad they are by sharing their badness with you. <laughs> you know, and the kitschiness, like you said, and yeah. and, and I I love that, right. Yeah, it's it's a different uh, energy. It's I don't entirely agree with with what's become kind of like a you know when people say you know what's the difference between the Mike era and the Joel era and and for a lot of fans, uh, you know it's you know the, that the, the the humor the sense of humor was different uh, was definitely different between the two of them. Uh, the the new show is a lot more like the original Joel episodes than it is like the you know the 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 later period Mike episodes in that especially with the riffing, there's a conscious effort to not talk over the the details of the movie. Right. Right. Like, like letting the uh, the movie play out because it's it's participatory with the film and that there's, in the Joel era, there's definitely a sense of affection for, yes, these are bad, but also they're, they are also kitschy and handmade. And, uh, you know, in, in a way, Ega is very much of a kind to, to Joel Hodgson's own shtick. You know, it's, it's a handmade family project by this, you know, father and son team who, of dubious talent, but, uh, obviously bizarre, big ambitions. Yes. And, uh, it, it feels like there's a little bit more of, of an in-kind affection with ones like this, whereas the, the Mike episodes are by and large more about, Oh, this is agony. You know, these movies are bad. We're suffering through them. And this is, you know, we're fighting back against them. Right. Uh, which, which, which is a, it's a, it's a different type of humor. But, uh, you know, I, you know, between the two of them, I always preferred, you know, the first way a little better. This is a little more towards that. So it's, uh, it's definitely more where my sense of humor lives. And, and, but, uh, I was really down. Go ahead. And I was, and I, and I feel the new season, it, it, it kind of merged back into, Joel it wasn't like fully Joel's humor on the first episode I I remember in the first couple feeling like they were a little riff heavy not that they talked over the movies but it's like oh crap we got to make sure there's not a lot of downtime let people get back into this and I can feel that since they were probably from what I've heard filming them quite quickly um that uh they found their footing there's there's a lot less of the bubble trick you know in that oh this is a liquid you know projection of the movie 
the so, bubble cuts. So we'll let the bubble cuts in where we, you know, were probably flubbing and didn't really have time to go back and reshoot, which which I found endearing, yeah. but th- those those disappear a lot more as it goes through. And so I feel like it almost, it, it kind of took its time, whether it was intentional or whether it was just Jonah and Joel getting used to Jonah being the guy writing the material and doing the riffs. Um, yeah. It kind of merged back into kind of a Joel 2.0 sense of humor as the new season went along. Cause you're right. M- Mike, you know, came in as a different character, had to make it his own thing. And Mike and the riff tracks, which he kind of goes with, right? Riff tracks has more of that. This is agony and terrible. And, you know, let's beat this thing down where you, yeah. you're right. Joel, Joel wants you to still take in the movie They're, They try not to talk over the dialogue. They try to add, you know, punchlines to it, but, but not remove that scene from the movie basically. Yeah. Well, it, well it's, and you know, and the, uh, Ironically, beat like all of even the quote unquote older members of the cast in this now are by and large of a generation that grew up or came up with Mystery Science Theater as one of their comedy touchstones. Right. You know, Pat Patton Oswalt is partially responsible for, you know, a whole independent movie riffing thing of his own. He has a whole book about film, which is really good, by the way. Yes, uh, yes, Pat it is. Pat Oswalt's movie book is actually really good. Um, but he, you know, he, he was behind helping get. The room and uh, and troll two sort of rechristened as yes. these uh, as as these cult classics in in uh, in quotation marks, uh, but um, you know a lot of uh, and some of this is yes you know they're on Netflix they don't uh, seem to want to do the uh, the the movies that don't exist in a good quality because they want people to be able to like watch these, uh, you see a lot more of a sense of, you know, genuinely enjoying the badness of these. Like, even, like, what, what's been received is their two crown jewels of, of the new season are uh, Cry Wilderness and uh, Circus Magic. Oh, Carnival Magic. Or Carnival Magic, rather. Yeah. I actually uh, went back so... and watched... I watched that again after the live thing because <laughs> because Joel couldn't stop talking about it <laughs> at the live thing. <laughs> I just had to go see well, it this, again. Well, it was great compliments because for for decades that was the famous lost movie of Al Adamson's and, you know, about a year before Mystery Science Theater gets started again, someone finds a print of uh, of of Carnival Magic that people can now actually see. That's awesome. It's it's so wonderfully and, and it, bad. <laughs> Yeah, and and it's you just you can't believe that this is a thing that exists because like who was this made for? What is this thing? And you know, as as much as I enjoy the riff tracks, you know, their their whole separate thing, you know, I'm glad that uh, this that they're not necessarily doing, you know, oh here's you know some cheap jack movie by the asylum that had no real effort put into it anyway, so why should we care? Right, right. You know, um, you know I yeah. the the mystery science theater crowd is more the the people that enjoy the room and the people that enjoy Troll Two and less the um the Sharknado, um and you know yeah. Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus crowd. They they both grew from the same from the same yeah. love and the same idea, but one of them is trying very hard to make Keech, and, and the other one is just it by accident. <laughs> you yeah. know. Um, it, it, there, there's a there's a can you believe this exists element to it, and even uh, 
like the last uh, movie of the season. I won't spoil like the premise of the episode or whatnot, but the last movie um, in the, uh, the the this run of Mystery Science Theater episodes this new season uh, is uh, at the Earth's core, which is probably which is remembered as one of the better, if not the best, of the Doug McClure sort of big big ish budget. Uh, you know, goofy sci-fi monster adventure movies. And, you know, as they're entering this, they've already done, you know, in the, they're like the, 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 the land that time forgot has already passed by on this, uh, on this run. And as they're introing it, you know, Kinga is explaining what the movie is. And, you know, behind her, you can see Pat Oswalt, you know, bobbing his head and, you know, gets toward the end of the uh, description of, yeah, it's about, you know, steampunk drill vehicles and underground civilizations and giant pterodactyl monsters, you know, cut to uh, TV, son of TV's Frank in the back and go on. You know, it's actually really cool. Yeah, I loved, that was so genuine. Yeah, and, it, uh, <laughs> yeah. and I love that about his character yeah. on the show is he, he has the same thing that um, the original TV's Frank had going for him, where it's just like, you know, he's he's just not quite on the same wavelength as his boss. There's like a, you know, th- there's just this enjoyment. Yeah, yeah. There's this, like, childlike enjoyment in all of it. <laughs> you know, that I, I love it. Yeah. I love it. There, yeah, there, there's, I won't spoil it for people that haven't watched it yet, but there's a plot element that sort of, like, crops up around the fourth or fifth episode that, kind of continues through and, and gives him an arc in uh, throughout the season that when they first introduced this to it, I was kind of like, ah, you know, that that feels like just the most obvious place to go, you know, like, what are we doing here? But, uh, you know, it plays out very genuinely and uh, amusingly and fits his, uh, it, it fits Patton Oswalt's skill set very well. Yeah, he's he was kind of made to, to be on this show. Um and and while we're on yeah. that, you know, even though this might not be a uh, um, a well received uh, thing on the internet right now, but I'm going to do it anyway. Congratulations to that guy, by the way. Congratulations yeah. to Patton Oswalt. That for, is some. That is yeah. We don't yeah, need to good, go yeah, into job, how um, how ter- Oswald, um, how terrible all you assholes are out there for knocking that guy down. But um, congratulations to him and and Meredith Salinger. That that that's wonderful. You know? No, you know, I'll go into I'll I'll go into it a little bit. Patton Oswalt is is uh, got engaged again. Uh, he 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 got engaged, uh, and people are giving him a tremendous amount of shit because it has not been, according to them, enough time uh, since his wife passed away. Now I'll admit fully, you know, the first reaction to reading it is to go, "Wow, that's that's soon," you know. But I don't say it in an angry way. I say it in a, I, I've never been through what he's been through. I have no yeah, idea what it would take. And in the way my mind works is that I don't think I could be open again to, to, yeah. to finding love, you know, that quickly. But yeah. I also am not him and haven't had to deal with it. So if, yeah, right. I mean, I loved yeah. watching this show to see him be happy yeah. again, you know? So, yeah, right. <laughs> and, you know, and it doesn't even like, I, to be honest, I I don't really. It's none of my goddamn. And it's business none of anybody's business. It it squicks me out to even talk about it. Maybe I shouldn't have brought it up. Period. No, I I brought it up. It's just I, I brought it know, up because I wanted to congratulate the guy, and I think we well, should. No, but I I, I want. Yeah, I know. I know. Congratulations, and you know, like I'm I'm never gonna tell anyone that they that you know like how you feel about something is wrong. But you know, just because someone is famous doesn't mean that every, like, life decision that happens to them 
you need to have an opinion on. You know, you, 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 you can feel however you want, but, you know, with all that this person has been through and the fact that you don't know what else is going on in his life, you don't know what's going on in this person's life, you don't know how, you know, his, his, uh, his child feels about, you don't know any of this shit, shut the fuck up. Right. No. On social media and, and the internet, this doesn't need your hot take. Right. He doesn't this need, doesn't need, he doesn't your, need your opinion. opinion. Yeah. And not only does he not need it, because I'm not here like, oh, who will take care of poor Patton Oswald? I'm not his publicist. You know, the, the, the broader culture does not need you to, to be thinking about this right now. It doesn't, you're, you're not, Nothing you have to say about this is important or interesting, you know, uh, about this because no one actually knows. It's some guy's life, you know. Right, exactly. And it's just it it the, it it just it just pisses me off. I I agree. You know, I under yeah. I I won't say that I don't understand. You know, some people look at it, look at the the facts of it in evidence, and say, well, that's kind of unusual or that that seems off. You know, to to like my way of doing it, but. You don't know the whole story, so nothing you have to say is possibly contribute to anything. You're just being an asshole about something. And this does not need articles being written about it and blogs being posted. Just leave these people alone. Exactly. You know, it's, ugh, it, it just, that, it, that this aspect of my business annoys the shit out of me. I, it, it, it yeah. <laughs> there, there was a. It used to be that there was a solid line of demarcation between, you know, the three branches of things between, you know, legitimate film critics who talked about films and the industry and, you know, serious topics, you know, like the nerdy fans who talked about nerdy fan stuff, and then like the tabloid bullshitters who talked about who was sleeping with who and who was getting married and all of this reality TV horseshit that no sensible human being should ever give a shit about for non-ironic purposes. And now it's all mushed together and the fanboys and the, the, the legit critics now kind of being the same thing, I'm totally fine with. We didn't also have to let the Weekly World News, Us Weekly, National Enquirer, People Magazine horseshit into into the clubhouse as well. Exactly. Exactly. And and that's other than that I have no strong feelings on the matter. <laughs> here here to that. And um I'll end that on a positive <laughs> note. We just wanted to congratulate someone I don't really know, but I'm I'm psyched for him. So uh yeah, to to move Good job, Patton. Yeah, exactly. To to move on um as a tangent from that, um something that easily could have ended up being uh a mystery science theater hot take. Um, and certainly some of the parts of the original series um, could have easily fallen into that trap. Um, we have a new Planet of the Apes film coming out. Um, we do. And you've seen it. I haven't. It is probably my most anticipated movie of the summer. And uh, mm. but before getting into uh, what you thought about it, I thought revisiting it from the standpoint of just seeing the Rotten Tomatoes score, not that that means anything in the grand scheme of things, but just seeing that and having heard you tell me what you thought of it, and we'll get into that more, leads me to believe that this could be the most successful trilogy since Lord of the Rings. We're going we're gonna to throw could that be. out there. Yeah, uh, okay. Could, um, could very well be. And, and the fact that it's a reboot or a prequel, for that matter, um, rises it above most anything else. I mean, 
um, Star Star Wars is beating us over the head with you know with Rogue One. Hey, look, there's a Star Wars prequel that doesn't suck. Yeah, no, I I got you. Good job, guys. You know you you did it. But I mean, this this I I, I really after the the first Planet of the Apes, what was it? Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? Is that what that thing was called? Rise, rise. Okay, rise of the I get I get I get the names out of order. Luckily, they don't have numbers yeah. next to them. Um. But <laughs> Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I remember seeing the trailer for this thing. You, you, you and I saw it together in the theater for the first time. And I remember looking at it and going, man, you know, we talk about how the Transformers things are just great big visual effects reels and there's no movie behind it. And, you know, yeah. we were fooled by those, right? You see the trailer for the first one. It's like, okay, Michael Bay makes a movie about the Transformers. This is right up his wheelhouse. This should be awesome. Womp womp. Yeah. Um. But but anyway, Weta Weta is great. Um, you know everything that Weta does and touches, even if the movies suck, always looks and is great. They they prove to us with the Lord of the Rings films that they are the they were the low rent ILM that could that had the handmade worker craft, and now they're they're you know beating ILM at their game and working with them. And you know, Rise of the Planet of the Apes was the hey, you know, the Sandy Circus guy. He was Gollum. He was King Kong. He's going to play an actual character, you know, uh, for the whole movie. And we didn't know what it was going to be, but damn, did the trailers look awesome. And damn, yeah. did that movie end up being awesome. Um, it did. It, it really did. It's great. And, and I mean, and it's, I mean, I think even the director whose name I'm forgetting right now, but he was a Weta alum, right? He was just, hey, you're one of the visual effects guys. Why don't you direct this thing? Right. There, there wasn't a mm-hmm. whole lot of, um, you know, they, there wasn't some, you know, oh, we found this indie guy like they did with Jurassic World. And, you know, it was just, you know, this movie was basically made by the visual effects department. Right. And um, we're going to put our yeah. motion capture actors at the forefront. But again, not until that movie came out and it actually did well, did we have any of that. So sitting there in the theater for the first time, you know, me and you and a bunch of our friends are there to see it. Rise of the Planet of the Apes, we're there in the theater, me, you, some of our friends, my wife, who has never seen the Planet of the Apes film, um, not even the crappy Tim Burton remake, mm-hmm. um, with Maki Mack. Um, <laughs> but, but, but anyway, um, oh, you know what this is? I yeah. think this is a Planet of the Apes kid. Uh, and, anyway, um, so... We're sitting there, and she was, like, not sure if she was interested. We all went and saw it. And, man, the moment, and if you haven't seen this, stop listening to this now because you should have at least seen Rise of the Planet of the Apes. But the minute Caesar talks for the first time and is about to kill Draco Malfoy um, and, and looks at the camera and screams, <laughs> no, the theater goes quiet, and my wife out of nowhere goes, holy shit! And the whole theater goes nuts and everyone stands up and starts applauding because <laughs> it was just such a badass scene. And to get a reaction out of someone that, you know, wasn't sure if they were interested in it isn't, you know, um, isn't already tied to the franchise. You know, it, it really was its own thing. It was a prequel, yeah. but it didn't tell us a story we already thought we knew. It was something completely new. And, and fuck, it even has a good performance from James Franco, in it. You, know, you know, and and John Lithgow and. and it just it had it was so much more emotional than I thought it was going to be. It had a resonance to it that I didn't expect it to have. And yeah. uh, I mean, do you have the same takeaway from that as me? I mean, maybe I'm overblowing it because the ones that have come since it have been so good. But no, I, I don't think that's overblown at all. I mean, this really has very quietly overall 
turned out to be uh, just a really good franchise. And, uh, you know, I, I think some of some of that, I think what, what gets sort of, you know, either underreported or underappreciated with this is that the Planet of the Apes has always been a, a really good franchise. Like the, we remember... We, we, like, we remember the, the, the original is, was probably the, yeah, the Planet of the Apes movies were the last really big, uh, you know, fun sci-fi, you know, like kind of sci-fi adventure movie thing to be a really big deal right before that genre needed exactly. to be expensive. You know, um, like the Planet of the Apes, we remember the original because it has that killer ending, and then on top of that, there's this kind of campy, you know, very early 60s sci-fi, like, very adjacent to original Star Trek in tone movie where Charlton Heston is walking around in a loincloth on paper mache sets with people in ape makeup and, you know, saying, you damn dirty apes, and, you know, doing the, the, the three apes, doing the see no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil thing at the right. tribunal, and, you know... All of that stuff, but but also just like original Star Trek, while being campy, low budget, dated, corny, all of those things, is also just a really freaking it really good is. movie. It's it's you know, like the action works. It's intense. It's interesting. It's you know, for a movie that is remembered for a dark ending, is it's not just the mo- the darkest ending. It's the most cynical uh, ending of any like big movie I can think of. Because, like, the whole angle... For, for those of you who have not, like, seen the original Planet of the Apes in a while, most of the, mo- the... What's great about that ending with the Statue of Liberty and whatnot is not just that, oh, wow, it was Earth, is that they basically sent... The movie sends you on a fairly, you know, kind of almost uplifting-feeling journey, quote-unquote, as a story, and then the ending exactly. goes... Not! And, and, uh... Because, like, the the angle of the movie is that Charlton Heston, when he first starts off, is a bastard. And he's a bastard because he hates human beings and he's blasted off from planet Earth with his astronauts because there must be something better out there and people suck and I'm better than everyone else and they're all going to destroy each other because they're all dumb assholes. Like, that's his whole thing. And throughout the movie, he is, he lands with these apes and the apes think even less of people than him. They don't even believe that people were ever people, really. And he is forced by, you know, being treated in the way that he used to treat other human beings uh, to become, like, the guy who speaks for and defends humanity and towards the end has kind of, like, come around as a character in this very, you know, Rod Serling wrote it. And it's a very Twilight Zone kind of lesson where he has been forced to reckon with what a bastard he was about people. And, you know, it's like, no, I, I, I've come to understand human, humans. And I, you know, he, he has achieved a better understanding of, of humans. And, you know, hey, isn't that great? And then he comes around on the beach and sees the Statue of Liberty and realizes, oh, shit, no, I was right after all. They really are as fucking stupid as I thought they were. They really did blow up the world in a nuclear war. I was right. You know, original me was right. Dr. Yes. Zayas was basically right. You know, Dr. Zayas, who's, who's been saying humans suck and destroyed the world, and that's why we've had to do this to them. You know, the the bad guys and the assholes have been right the whole time. Everything sucks. There is no hope. Fuck you. 
is the is the big go home ending of Planet of the Apes, and it's the most cynical, mean spirited, just kicking the and, and balls people ate it up of all time, and it's just great. Oh yeah, well they did because what most people took away from it was the surprise of uh, if you're hearing Super Mario noises in the background, it's because I have a pillow that makes noises. Uh, that was a gift from uh, Chris and Sarah at one point, and uh, it's uh, bouncing around on the couch as I move. Excellent. Ambiance. Uh, yeah, but yeah, and, yeah. So the Planet of the Apes was this huge deal at the time, and the movies up until the very last one are all pretty smart. The second one isn't good, but they're all smart, interesting, idea-driven science fiction that also have people in crazy monster makeup and weird big ideas that make them kind of campy and fun to watch. And it was the last big deal sci-fi thing to have that edge before Star Wars happened and, you know, it beca- and the you know, the big expensive sci-fi and fun adventure-driven sci-fi right. became the same thing. You know, like, you, you, you don't get, um, you know, like, the, the line that used to separate 2001 from Forbidden Planet exactly. was erased by Star and, Wars. And that, that's what I'm loving about and, this new, this new trilogy, this new franchise of these Planet of the Apes movies, is it it seems like they went back and found that, you know, the, the first, the first one wasn't a $200 yeah. million dollar movie. You know, it, it cost a lot. I mean, cause the, yeah. the, the effects work was top notch, but they didn't go and blow their wad. This wasn't like a, okay, we're going to, we're going to bank Avengers level, you know, budget on this. I think maybe by this one, they might be spending that much, but the, it's still, it is, it's probably like 120 really. million. It's probably less than wonder woman actually. Well, I mean, I'm I'm sure they spent a good amount of money on this because you have hundreds right. of actors on screen for a lot of the time that are CGI apes, it just, which is it has this as hell. feeling, you know, like no, we were talking about with Mystery Science Theater earlier. Yeah, there's a ton of CGI on screen, but CGI when it's handled by the right people, kind of like with the Lord of the Rings films, it feels handcrafted. It feels like the yeah. people on these apes that are on mm. screen because they're being acted by people. And this is where this blurring the line with the motion capture is. Hello? It feels like they're there and they're trying. And, you know, y- you made a comment about the originals. It was right before the sci-fi movies had to be these big overblown, epic, big budget movies. The line got blurred. Um, it- it- it's the thing that George Romero yeah. did with his, the night of the living dead series is he goes, you know, if you're coming to this because you want to see the zombies and that's all you care about, that's not really the story I'm here to tell. The zombies are there, but this is about humanity. And, you know, the, these apes movies are the same mm. thing, and, and it's actually what The Walking Dead gets right, the, the, the George Romero did. This isn't really about the zombies. It's it's about the people. And these apes movies get it. By Andy Serkis yeah. and his people being human actors, but standing there portraying these apes and in the original movies with the people with the you know pretty good for the time period that they were in ape makeup you know you stop the the um you stop being brought in by okay i i showed up to see a movie where humans fight apes and there's more to it than that it's telling you a lot about yourself and about society and i like that we can have a hundred million dollar movie that doesn't have to be two, three, four, five hundred million shit. They shouldn't cost any of this anyway. But it feels like the people making them are smart. Yeah. 
and 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 they're they're trying they're not mm-hmm. trying to pander to the intelligence level of a summer blockbuster. I mean, these these movies being released in July. You know what I mean? This this is supposed to be the time for, you know, yeah. the independence days, you know, uh, of of the genre, not the uh, you know, the thinky movie that if you took the CGI apes out of it would be like in the vein of Duncan Jones's Moon. You know what I mean with with, with some of the some of yeah. the things they deal with. Um and, and you know with that I bring in mm. we we get to our second movie being Dawn which is far darker than Rise yeah. and far more of a gut punch being helmed yeah. by Matt Reeves who's mm-hmm. who's shaping up to I mean everything he's touched has been great and not to say that uh not to say that he yeah. shouldn't um have been great I mean this is the guy who actually directed Cloverfield to all you JJ Abrams fanatics out there the guy didn't actually direct that movie um, th- this was Matt Reeves' film, and I yeah. think part of the reason why it works is is the you know having this guy as a director. In retrospect, looking back at it, it's not just the unique storyline; it, it's the guy behind the camera, the guy setting up the shots. Um, and then you get the remake of Let the Right One In, which, if you've never seen Let the Right One In, it's damn near perfect and um, it, great little small mm. vampire movie. Um, where the vampires are children. I'm not going to tell you much more than that because there's just so much to see. And this guy makes a remake of it, which I'm I'm done on remakes anyway, but man, it, it works as a perfect companion piece to the first film. I don't think I can pick a favorite between the two other than that the original came first. Because um, mm. some of the CGI is dodgy yeah. in the remake. It, some of it's unnecessary. But... um. They hired two great child actors. I mean, this was Chloe Grace Moretz right after Kick-Ass, you know, before she was the, oh, God, we're putting her in Mm. things that she's still too young to be playing these roles, like teen icon kind of thing that they were pushing for for a while. And she nails it. And it it just, instead of of trying to ape, no pun intended, what the original movie did, it works as almost a fanboy homage to it. In in, in in even a way that Gus Van Sant's mm. um, Psycho remake couldn't do, uh, you, you know, even though that's kind of the same approach, like yeah. we're going to almost shot for shot remake this damn thing. Um, and, and I thought it was great. And now he takes on the Apes franchise successfully rebooted and takes it in a really dark direction um, and, and in a post-apocalyptic yeah. dark direction. And I can only imagine with him being hired to continue on, um, does a similar job with this now uh, i know you've seen it i haven't but i guess we can ki- we can continue with the nazi party gag and uh um t- tell me a little bit about <laughs> it without blowing a lot uh, wh- what should i be expecting <laughs> uh, uh i would expect uh not the movie that's in the advertisements which exactly is kind of I-, I thought that about dawn i remember sitting there watching it going yeah. i thought i had this movie pegged yeah and then they got to the third act and i went where the yeah. fuck did this come from <laughs> yeah it's it's they they've managed very cannily you know with the the surprising durability of showing uh monkeys doing things that monkeys do not typically do uh in relation to horseback riding and gun firing to uh to get people to continue to show up for two movies i i expect three movies in a row to really turn out for movies that are actually fairly small self-contained character driven sci-fi movies basically by putting the third act out of context in the trailer and, and right. getting people to show up 
you know, because you, you can show up for that first movie and all of the trailers were, you know, the apes are fighting the cops on the bridge and somehow this eventually becomes that Charlton Heston movie you remember. And the first movie, most of it is, you know, a very gradual kind of Frankenstein. And it's heartbreaking. And the trailers didn't tell you any of that. (laughs) You know? No, they didn't. Yeah. And uh, and then Dawn, you know, uh, I really do like Dawn. I agree with uh, some folks that the if there's a problem with Dawn, it's that the human correct, characters are and just and not that's and that's surprising when and one of your that, lead human and, characters is fucking. Uh, oh God, come on, Chris, for getting names, Gary Oldman, right? For Gary for Oldman. them to make get for he's good in yeah, it, he, oh, but he's, he's still playing like a caricature, <laughs> you know, instead of like a Gary, you know, it's almost like you know. Oh, just do your Gary Oldman thing. It'll be fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a it's, hell of a movie. Uh, it, but it's still a good movie. And again, you know, there's, you know, mo- uh, there is a lot of philosophizing and back and forth talking and damn Lots of damn in that movie that you're not terribly bothered by. <laughs> that you're not terribly bothered by while you wait around for the apes on horseback double wheeling machine guns the, um, to start. The GoPro static shot tied to the tank with um with 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 bad ape there yeah yeah, Um, that's great (laughs) a bad horse bad ape no um uh yeah it was just unbelievable yeah it's a uh and uh this new one you know they're selling as war for the planet of the apes and they have trailers and uh oddly photoshopped posters which are selling the idea of you know, we're going to see a, a a war, a great big giant battle between man and ape, which I'm not going to spoil the movie, but the movie is once again a much smaller, self-contained, character-driven thing. It's much more of a uh, a prisoner of right. war movie. I, I love that they movie. keep doing this and people are eating it, it up. It makes me so happy to hear people that I never yeah. would have expected to even give a movie like this a chance. And, you know... There's those of us, you know, I say the difference between a, a summer blockbuster film goer that's showing up because they're being told it's something you've seen before you like this. You know, you and I are going to see it, one, because yeah. we like the franchise, two, we're caught up in the, wow, Andy Serkis is really that damn good and he keeps getting better at what he's doing, give the guy an Oscar thing, that almost like, you know, the people that show up for a mm. Coen Brothers movie are like, you know, you don't get this, I get this, this is my thing, you know. But you're sharing a theater with people that would just as easily probably liked the new Transformers movie, but they're walking away loving the shit mm-hmm. out of it for almost the same reasons. Man, that that mm. lead ape is awesome, and it's like, yeah, that that's Andy Circus. We love Andy Circus, you know. <laughs> and and so it, it's just really cool that um yeah that the 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 more subtle, the more um like you said, the more uh, intimate sci-fi kind of movie can be made again and and that people people give it money because these movies i mean they're not making a billion dollars but they're making their budget back their hits you know and, and i think that's awesome that people are investing yeah it's it, i i'm really i'm i'm endlessly surprised but very glad you know on that same level that this is has become such a big thing it really does you know improbably you know i am mr don't give the mainstream audience uh, credit for anything. Me too, but Lord, sometimes you need their money. But, uh, 
Well, no, but so, but sometimes, you know, something worthwhile actually does connect, and it really does feel like the, uh, very specifically Andy Serkis as Caesar, and this whole story of, uh, of, of this ape character, and, you know, this, this revolution-leading guy, uh, has really registered with people. Like, there is, even though we don't hear as much chatter about these movies in between their release as the Marvel movies or the, the DC movies or, or whatever else, whenever I, I'm in a, a trailer, I'm in a theater with a regular audience, and, uh, the, one of these, tra of the trailer for uh, one of the Planet of the Apes movies plays, you know, you can feel electricity go through the audience and they go, oh, shit, yeah, you know, because they're, oh, yeah, I like that movie and I'm excited to find and, out. And I'm what glad we to this have that next. again because, you know, you brought out Marvel and the, the Marvel thing, you know, despite the detractors who, you know, there's too much superhero movies, you and I were talking again, you know, when, when Sam Raimi's Spider Man came out, there were no fucking superhero movies coming out. And if they did, You'd get a good one like Blade every once in a while, and then you'd get, you know, um, Steel, you know, in between it, or Spawn, you know, or whatever else. You know, we didn't have, you know, people see a superhero film, now all they need to do is see the Marvel logo and they're going to show up, you know. And, and, I, and I don't necessarily think that's yeah. a bad thing, but it, it is, it, it does make you have to accept the mainstream audience as, you know, in bed with you on something that you love too. These ones still feel like they have that it 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 wins the crowd over again every time there's a new trailer. It's not like guaranteed that just by putting a poster up and having the movie come out. I really feel like the ads for these are what pull people back in and it's not just an expectation that they're going to love it. You, you know, I I really think it's that really clever mm. ad campaign of promising them something but then giving them something else but having that be calculated just perfectly enough that it really it resonates with the crowd you know it resonated that that you know overcoming the odds kind of thing that people loved so much and was such a big point of all the 80s action movies they're getting that but it's not really what they're being sold they're being sold something else and and i think like you said it, it's electricity mm. it, it's you know you see the the spider-man trailer come up all you have to do is see spider-man and the crowd goes wild um but they were already they already knew it was coming. You know, the Planet of the Apes, it's like a surprise. It's like, oh man, they made another one of these. Oh, I can't wait. You know, instead of the, oh yeah, right, it's been three yeah. months. Of course there's another Marvel movie. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I find that really yeah. interesting, and I find it great yeah. that they can release them in the middle of the summer and that they make money. Um now mm. with, with that in mind, this is a this is a quick aside. Um to uh to the thing i wanted to yeah. talk about involving matt reeves but i'll get there in a minute we may have talked about this before but what are your thoughts on the whole motion capture oscar thing you know um officially this this discussion is is very like difficult for it's one of those uh, things that that has become sort of more difficult than these discussions typically are because it's a very complicated issue that is that you want to try to see very simply because oh, of everyone course. likes of Andy Serkis. You know, every, every everyone agrees that he's a talented character actor. Everyone loves Gollum. Everyone loves Caesar. Everyone recognizes that this guy does really interesting, cool work. And no one 
even people who do not necessarily agree that, that motion capture acting should be up for Academy Awards for whatever reason do not really want to, like, lean really hard into it because who would really have that big of a problem if this very hard-working, interesting character actor who pretty much just happened upon a perfect-to-be-the-guy in a new niche, you know, who wants to be the person who uh, says, agreed, ah, agreed. that guy, right? Um, so, um... My, because I, you know, I have to write about this eventually, so I have to take a position. Officially, I am, if, if they nominate Andy Serkis for an Academy Award, I, uh, I am perfectly fine with it. I, I think, you know what, you know, good. There's really no other, it's not like there is a special Oscar for performance right. capture acting. So if this is what's there, yes, nominate him for this award, give it to him. You know, we, we have, uh, you know, Compared to some of the performances that have won that were not motion captured, I take uh, I take no exception to this. Um, on a technical level, on the other hand, uh, you know, if if someone was to ask me what is because the argument against this is, despite the way that it gets framed very often in the media, is that you know the 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 stuck up actors are. You know, don't want to award a guy who plays. Uh, agreed. And it, goblins, it's it's the basically. same. You know, and why it took so long for a movie like Lord of the Rings to win Best Picture, right? It's it's kind of the same idea. You know. Well, well, it's frame it's framed as such, but I don't. The difference is there really is no other than I just don't like Lord of the Rings. There isn't really an argument that says that that should not have been eligible for an Oscar. It's a movie. Right. Agreed. Gets, agreed. You know what I mean? The yeah, the technical argument being made uh, ag against the the performance capture business, which is also made against um, uh, performances inside like uh, creature suits that require someone off screen um, rotating mechanics. Knobs. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, also, well, also, and the thing of it is, the some of this, the 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 incorrect perception of this is you you have to put a little bit on Andy Serkis himself. Uh, for the way that he promotes himself and the way that the films that use this methodology promote them. The, the Planet of the Apes movies, on a technical level, really want people to understand that Andy Serkis is playing this character, that he is the actor, that this is not just a cartoon, that there's an actor there. Uh, and the perception that I think a lot of people who don't necessarily fully grasp the way this technology works is... Uh, I feel like a lot of people, if you ask them how do they do this, they would say, oh, Andy Serkis puts on a suit with uh, electronics all over it and puts dots on his face, and they hook him up to the computer, and then whatever he does, the, the, the computer draws the monkey doing it, and then yeah, that and winds that's, up that's in the movie. Yeah, and that's not that simple. <laughs> and, and that is not actually what happens. What what happens is that he does the performance and he does the physical motions and gets the skeleton of the thing working and uh, that, you know, for the arms and the legs and the movements and the, the placement in the scene with the other actors. Uh, and then the face stuff, the reason those dots are on his face is so the computer can reference where they are, but they don't directly map it on after he's done giving this performance and providing all of this reference material there are 
dozens and dozens of animators who then go over this outline that he's provided and then animate onto it and add things to right. it and subtract things to it. You know, it's it's not it's not like, you know, if if he arched his eyebrow in a way that it turns out doesn't necessarily convey where what what they might have wanted in the scene. They True, that. but then couldn't the you argument know? be made about all like the Lucas style technology where he can change the way people's eyes look in their actual performance when they're just a regular actor if he wants? I mean I mean there's 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 right, a level right. yeah, of airbrushing yeah. and filtering and everything else that goes on with anything. So so where does the line really get drawn? I mean, in in my opinion, if this were me and I was Andy Circus and I ended up getting and I, say I end up winning this award, okay? You you kind of yeah. curb a lot of this argument. You're you're never going to get past the well. Actors don't think that he's an actor because there's a, a team making his yeah. performance with him. So you walk up on that damn stage with your team if, if you win that award, or at least the or at least yeah, the animation yeah. lead. Yeah, you know what I mean, or or, or the head of Weta, you know, or right. whatever it is, because. Because I, I don't think, you know, d- despite all of, you know, the promotion, um, I don't think the man, if he won that award, is going to stand up there. And, you know, it's kind of like Ridley Scott winning um, Best Comedy at the Golden Globes, right? He wants to win that award. He wants to win Best Picture. Yeah. But I, I, I think Andy Serkis is going to admit, yeah, I'm an actor and I'm promoting the fact that this is an actor's position and that these people should get more credit. But, you know... Because it, it's more than just providing a voice. I think that's the argument that annoys me the most, is people think it's like a Jack Black in Kung Fu Panda kind yeah. of thing. You know, where he might do a little motion capture because yeah. it's funny. You know what I mean? But he's really just here to do the voice. And right, right. no, the, the actors are interfacing with Andy Serkis on set. You know, he's the stand-in for Caesar, and those other yeah. people are the stand-in for the other apes. And... I mean, that's different than a tennis ball on a string being thrown around to make you think there's a dinosaur there in Jurassic Park. You know, it, it's very different. Just right. as what they did on Tintin was so much different than other motion capture movies that came before it. You know, where they were actually performing on a set. Yeah. You know, interfacing with each other that then got replaced with a digital set. You know, but they, they were actually acting you know, and not just in a room separately like a voice actor would be. So it, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I don't think, I, I worry that we'll never see it. I, I, you know, once we see the nomination, that's where the floodgates open up. Do you, do you think this is a year he gets the nomination, or do you think they wait for it to be done in something more serious? No, I don't, I don't think so. And look, here's the thing. If it was up to the producers of the Academy Awards... And like ABC TV. Oh, because that gets people watching. You would already have one. You know the, yeah the the reason we hear about like if if and when an actor gets nominated for best actor for a performance capture thing, it's going to be the story of that year because it'll it'll probably have been in a movie people have seen right. because they do this in big effects movies, and also. It will be because you'll have the old guard being upset about this. And what I don't think people quite, quite grasp, this is something that happens every goddamn Oscars, is that the things that aren't best picture, there's, like, weird things about who didn't, didn't get nominated. In the Oscars, the different branches vote on their own categories, right. except for best picture. 
and starting this year, Best Animated Picture, which is an odd thing. Yeah, we, we'll do another, another show, show about the um, horrible, horrible hand yeah, handed to Leica. Fuck the movie industry. Yeah. So, so what, uh, indeed, what, uh, the issue is that actors vote for acting nods, and I don't know of a lot of act, like, if there is this, if there is a thing that people just don't like Andy Serkis in the industry, never heard of it. And, and you hear about actors who are not right. well liked by other actors. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's a, there's a reason that you stopped hearing about yeah. Jim Carrey for a while. Yeah, you you actually, but believe it or not, even in an industry that includes like Mel Gibson and Charlie Sheen, you can asshole your way out <laughs> yeah. of a career. Indeed, still, and uh, you you actually can, yeah, you can do that, um, <laughs> or so I've heard. Uh, the issue here is that actors vote for the acting awards, and a lot of the Academy acting branch are character actors and working actors. And people who are not necessarily super wealthy acting celebrities who can make a movie when they want to and are there to take risks. They're people for whom this is a right. nine-to-five job. You know, they, they show up, they act, and they do the thing. And a lot of actors like that are mortally terrified of the idea of uh, what, what, what were for a while called synthespians. Uh, you know, the, the idea, remember when that movie, uh, yes. oh shit, Simone, yes. the, the Al Pacino movie where he, he makes the CGI actress. When that movie was coming out, as soon as it hit the trades that they'd made the movie, like the Screen Actors Guild put out a statement, uh, because originally they were going to try to pitch the movie that this actress, who was played by a then unknown actress, was... Uh, actually was <laughs> digital. They were going to try and like say that they'd actually done this. And the Screen Actors Guild put out a thing that said any movie that uses a synthetic actor where a real actor could have been used is violating our union contracts and we're not going to let them because character actors fear. Agreed, and I think agreed. they're right to fear that when you get to the point when, when you get to the point where they can just computer up someone to play a minor role that's someone losing a job, and therefore they are very resistant to the idea of uh, performance capture, to the idea of synthetic actors, period. And especially, uh, you know, even before Andy Serkis, it is really hard to get nominated for an Academy Award for acting if you're acting through prosthetic makeup that has a mechanical right, aspect right. to it. Like act like act, like actors win awards all the time for wearing a bunch of face. Like the Academy loves it when Nicole Kidman puts on a Meryl Streep, yeah, or John Hurt, you know, makes himself look like yeah. People, you make yourself look like the Elephant Man or something. Like the Academy loves that because you're acting. The minute cool. you have assistance, but uh, ve- yeah, the minute that there is another guy, like one of the the Jim Henson team, is off screen turning a knob to make like your ears move. You know, a lot of actors look at that and they say, hey, wait a minute, that's that's not acting, that's a machine helping you out with that. And they they worry about this because this is their their craft. And to the degree that you're trying to see all sides of this, nothing against Andy Serkis, nothing against those things, I see their point. I, I see the point that rewarding a singular performance 
is fundamentally different than rewarding this entirely new, has never existed before kind of performance that has this added help. And ideally, I think the solution to this is to create like, like a, they did with animation. category of, I don't know, effect, right, yeah, effects-assisted acting or some other, some whatever the, the, the nickname for this would be. I, I think that's the way to do it. Now, in the interim, much in the same way that Beauty and the Beast was nominated for Best Picture before there was a Best Animation Oscar, in the interim, I don't think it's the end of the world to nominate Andy Serkis for playing uh, Caesar. The performance he gives in War for the Planet of the Apes is Oscar-worthy. I, I believe that. this if if Because in the end, the counter-argument to what I just said, which is also valid, is, now wait a minute... Plenty of of actors give performances that yes they did a great job, but the reason we that character resonated with us is because a team of editors right and, that that you know lighting that was my argument for did, it. you know like you know they j- just like yeah, it's yeah. hard you know it's hard to split up best editing best writing best directing best picture because. Which one yeah. really adds to the best picture? And then if you call it the best picture, how can that not also be the winner of those other categories, right? If it's the sum of its parts, it, it, it's a really hard yeah. thing to discuss. So, it, you know, just like I I couldn't see the two Planet of the Apes movies that have existed so far winning best picture or being nominated for that fact. Maybe this year where, where less things have come that have been kind of more in the Oscar bait category. You know, I think we could see a, I think we could see an Academy Awards this year where two of the 10, if they do tens are like get out and war for the planet of the apes, who knows? Um, there's been crazier years, but, uh, um, I, I, it's just yeah. interesting to me. If you dig under the surface of anything, you can get the same arguments. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know that War for the Planet of the Apes makes it into Best Picture. I mean, I'll have to see the other, but like, if if we were only going by what's come out so far this year, definitely. Um, there is a much bigger push for Get Out as an Oscar-worthy movie. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a, a huge hit. It's a genre movie everyone liked. I don't see it getting there, just because it's the Academy. I do think that it's really, really possible that I will see it with yeah. the original screenplay. Yeah, and maybe and, and maybe director. They they seem I, I to be that, on the Jordan Peele bandwagon. So, yeah, the the industry really it's good. Likes this guy. It's good. He deserves um, it. <laughs> I I have a yeah, yeah. I I think uh, I have not seen I, it yet, you, but I just out, um, right? I I. I Okay, you, I, I'm yeah, not going to say this in the, well, I know that it's good because they told me it's good. I, I can imagine I'm going to really like it. And I think that guy, um, yeah. you know, he's he's come up very quickly and um, Keanu is fucking hysterical. And um, and so, you know, to, yeah. to, to hear that he can jump from comedy right into horror um, or at least, you know, some cynical or whatever the movie ends up being. It, it seems to be horror. Who who knows what I'm actually going to end up seeing. Um, I, mm-hmm. I just think it's awesome that it's getting the attention yeah. that it does because that genre needs more attention anyway. And, um, you know, yeah. um, it being made more by more than just white dudes also needs to happen. So there, there's there's a lot there's a lot going for it. So I think that's great. Um. 
Yeah, uh, I think Get Out is very much like right now it's, and especially now that it's it's heading out to home video now so people can see it, it is very, very much uh, in the, it's in exactly the place that The Sixth Sense was in uh, a couple, when when it came out. So like back in but, 99, but I think when The, the Sixth ex- Sense came out. 97. Was, was that 99 or 98? I think. Or 98 or no, it was 98 or 99 because yeah. it's the year I broke my leg. And I saw everything that came out that year. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think the the Academy is more open to that being in nominated territory. Was The Sixth Sense, did The Sixth Sense have a screenplay nom? <laughs> I think it did. The Sixth Sense, the Sixth Sense was nominated for Deservedly. six Academy Awards. Uh, best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Original Deservedly. Screenplay, it's, it's, and it, Editing. It, 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 it's not my um, favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie, but I think it's the... I think it it's the sum of its parts is the best of everything that guy has to offer. Unbreakable's still my favorite, but um, mm. and, yeah, and and incidentally, which I think uh, I also think that this is a possibility that Get Out could also repeat the Sixth Sense in this way. Uh, the Sixth Sense was the winner at the People's Choice Awards for favorite motion picture, favorite dramatic motion picture, awesome. and best actor Bruce Willis. I can because like th- what's incredible about Get Out is not only is it great and it is great, but what is truly remarkable is for a movie that was marketed as a controversial movie that will be really really liked by black audiences yes. and woke white people. This is a two hundred million dollar box office smash. Everyone it was, saw this. Was this movie. was this Blum, was Except this Blumhouse? You, but, by but the way, every, is this another feather in their cap? For like yeah. continuing to this, be this, like, hey, we're gonna spend eight yeah, million bucks on something, and we guarantee it's gonna be a hit. Yeah, they're 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 just churning yeah, them out. Like, this this is a this this is a movie that came out, and everyone said, "Oh my god, you have to see this." It's about stuff, and it's it's angry about stuff, but it's also it's not just a lecture. You know, it's also an effective horror movie, and the premise is interesting, and people really wanted to see it and be in on the conversation. So, I I will be surprised if the Academy doesn't find some way to get Get Out in there because if Get Out is if Get Out's nominated for Best Picture, it will be the audience right. favorite. I I think uh, that or well. It'll be the audience favorite other than Dunkirk, which unless Dunkirk is a massive unless Dunkirk is as bad as Interstellar, you know, it's it's Christopher Nolan doing a uh, a movie about uh, the Dunkirk miracle, which uh, will have the bonus of, you know, most Americans I, I feel like don't really you know, I mean when 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 I went to school through a different track in like history and, and whatnot than, than you did but when you were in school did did no did, i i did i had to, when i heard as, christopher as nolan was world. making it i had to look it up yeah right this is to to those of us uh listening perhaps in in the united kingdom where this is if this is the this is one of the world war ii stories of uh of of you know the uk like this is one of the great national hero things is is the 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 Dunkirk miracle as as they say you know which, which is a, a huge deal depending on on how big that is i feel like that almost has to jump ahead to the forefront of like oscar stuff this year because it's christopher nolan doing a world war 2 movie it's historical it's you know it's 
going to be like a well, and tough, unlike Interstellar, he's doing movie. a movie he actually intended for himself to direct. So, I I, I like to think that most of the problems yeah. with Interstellar are that his lack of confidence in visual storytelling um, showed through like gangbusters because yeah. the worst parts of Interstellar are Interstellar trying to explain itself. Um, I think if they had, I think if they had left more yeah. to the imagination yeah. of the audience, because it, it visually is an impressive film. The the guy. The guy is better than I think he um, believes that he is. Um, it, it, him and his brother at pulling that story mm. off, and it wasn't a perfect story. And, and I enjoy the movie, um, but it, it's a big mess, especially the third mm. act. Um, but it was supposed to be Spielberg, mm-hmm. and and Spielberg Spielberg could have made that work. You know, um, it wouldn't have been perfect. It would have been a B yeah. B level Spielberg film, but he would have been able to pull that third act off a lot better. They were going for 2001, but 2001 doesn't need exposition to tell you that the end is a fucking trip and you just have to go along for the ride, you know? Um, but with that, okay, yes. so so we're, we're getting close to the end of time. I wanted to talk about one other thing um, to, to, to dive back to yes. the Planet of the Apes for a minute. We were talking about Matt Reeves and Matt Reeves kind of skyrocketing into genre success and being able to handle things that... Um, yes. That... You know, kind of like with the, uh, uh, the the folks that just got booted off of doing the Han Solo movie, which is a shame. We can talk about those guys in another yeah. podcast. But, um, mm. you know. Yeah, I'd like to avoid getting yes, into that until exactly. we actually um, know So I'll what leave that happened. to the side. But, you know, Matt Reeves has been skyrocketing to genre success. And now the truck full of money is he backed has. up on him to attempt to save the Batman film. And we all know yes. what you and I thought of Batman versus Superman and the problems <laughs> with that movie not being on Ben Affleck's shoulders. Uh, he, I think he showed up. I think he showed up when they didn't are. give him material. Um, but, but anyway, moving on from that, <sighs> we now know that at least somebody within DC, i.e. probably everyone that they hired to write and direct and star in Wonder Woman, know how to make a movie that works in there. So maybe yeah. that's maybe this is their reaction. Yeah. Hire someone new, m- make them breathe some life into it. Who knows? We don't know how Justice League is going to turn out yet. You know, damn shame what happened to Zack Snyder and his family. Awesome that you know, um, brain shutting off this late at night. Um, Joss Whedon, sorry, uh, Joss don't Whedon. don't hurt me, folks. I love Joss Whedon. I just yeah. could, is stepping in to help out. I'm sure there was a truck full of money that backed up there too. Whatever. Well, and uh, yes, and, but and the you know what? Regardless, Matt Reeves very recently um, is the director now of the was supposed to be helmed and written and starring Ben Affleck Batman film, and just today I believe the news came out that he has thrown out Ben Affleck's script. So, wh- right. So, Which what do we think comes of this? Ago. Do you think there's any chance of this being good? I, I agree. No. I agree. I just wanted to know if, <laughs> I mean, if we if we think that, you know, the, the guy that made the monkey movies, <laughs> you know, could could potentially make or, or is it like we talked about with um with uh, the Jurassic Worlds and the things it's kind of all previs at this point and the movie's kind of already set in stone yeah. and it's just going to be his fault now. <laughs> Well, the well, the thing is, we don't really know. I I don't think this can turn out well because I don't think. But Wonder any of Woman these was great. Well. I think it wasn't Wonder even Woman, kind of okay. It was. Wonder it was Woman great. was great. 
Wonder Wonder Woman Wonder Woman was great. Uh like what one here's the thing Wonder Woman is so close to genuinely great that I want to join the rest of the world in ignoring the fact that it turns into a DC it, it does it does minutes. And in those last it does, but no, it does not. Bob, I went back and watched the Wonder Woman scenes from Batman versus Superman after it nowhere near gets as close as being as bad as that. It might it's story wise, Mike, (sighs) but I could actually tell what was going on during that action scene. Um, I'm sorry. It's it's a letdown. It's a letdown in the way Iron Man's third act is 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 more what I give it. Uh, Okay. You know, I, I'm, I'm not <laughs> we we did already point, talk about it, but um... I I don't. Yeah, I look. Here's the thing. No one really knows what they were going to let Ben Affleck make of this Batman movie. I feel the the whole DCEU thing feels like a whole bunch of people made a very rash decision in the span of about a week about what they were going to do for the next 10 years of their career based around the idea that this thing they were making couldn't possibly fail. And then it failed, and the whole thing has turned out to be, like, the whole thing has turned out to be a bad idea. All of it sounded like a good idea, and the whole thing started, like, if you told me after Watchmen, oh, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have Zack Snyder direct a Superman movie and then Batman versus Superman and then spin off into a whole universe of Justice League movies, I would have been and did said, hell yeah, that sounds like great. That sounds different, nifty. Bring it, put it in front of me. That's going to be awesome. And I was and, and I was on Man board with Man of Steel Ugh. until we, until he kills Zod. It, it ruined the rest of the movie for me. I yeah. was really and on then, board with, with his Man of Steel movie until that point. It's not great, but I was on board. You know? And then we, yeah, yeah, and then we get Batman v Superman, which is just one of the worst. Yeah, that's that's, that's a tire fire, that, and that, that uh, shouldn't even be not, talked about. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 just trash. And then su- and then Suicide Squad also sucks. It sucks in a different way, but it also sucks, and it sucks in that same kind of what the hell are we making? What is the point of this? We don't know. We're making it up as we go along. Just, just garbage. And now you have this Batman. Who knows what they were supposedly allowing Ben Affleck to make? Like the movie that they were talking about was, oh, it's Batman versus Deathstroke, and I'm apparently Yikes. it's not that anymore. Uh, you know, and it, you know, as much as I like, I, I like in theory Ben Affleck in the role, but all of his Bruce Wayne scenes look like. At any minute, a parody is going to break out, and he's going to turn around, and Jason Mewes is going to be there, and they'll have been putting us on that someone actually made a Batman movie where Ben Affleck is not only playing Batman, but is, for no reason other than because The Dark Knight Returns is a thing, is is playing an older Batman with a bunch of, like, just-for-men spray He's in his playing hair Batman by way of the casual male guy from Mallrats. <laughs> the the older version yeah, like, of that it's, guy. It's, it's just like like he's like it's compelling because Ben Affleck is a compelling screen presence, but it's it's right up there with uh, Live by Night and these movies where Ben Affleck plays a character where he is clearly completely unsuited to this part. This is not he. I love Ben Affleck to death. He is an um he is amazingly unaware. Of yeah. his own appeal. 
Like, he doesn't get it. Like, I'll say this for Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg has not yet forced me to watch him uh, try to play, like, <laughs> right. Hamlet or something. You know, Mar- Mark Wahlberg stays in his lane. And Ben Affleck, much more talented than Mark Wahlberg, will not stay in his well, lane. And he Well, here's the thing. He keeps having incredible himself. starts and stops. I mean, r- remember, this guy, this guy, he was in the one of the worst films ever made, right? Geely is just not good. Yes. There's there's yeah. nothing redeeming about it. It's yeah. not the worst thing ever made, but it's way up there. And that was after a series of yeah. terrible, terrible things. And this is the guy that wrote fucking Goodwill Hunting, for Christ's sakes. You know what I mean? Co-wrote. Yeah, yeah but I mean, Co-wrote. you know, we get Gone Baby Gone. And Gone Baby Gone is, hey, that guy awesome. who... You use you who has now become a joke, yeah. but has been good in things. We've seen him be good, but he became kind of like the poppy rom rom com yeah. joke of of the like late nineties. Um, is a great writer and director. Mm. Yeah, we we knew that, but he's proving it to us again. And then he makes freaking um, uh, the town, proving it again. Do you know what I mean? And stars mm-hmm. in it to boot, and then things start to get a little shaky. And like you said, you get live by night, which was just a miscalculation. You know what I mean? It seems in every way, shape and form. And it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. the most interesting part about this Batman movie for me was going to be that he was going to write and direct it. You know, he could have cast somebody else's Batman as far as I'm concerned, but seeing him behind the camera, I'm going to be excited by until he makes complete shit, you know? And, and and so to take yeah. that away, it's like I'm not as interested in seeing someone else direct him playing the Batman role that he didn't get a chance to fully flesh out in Batman versus Superman. And I'm not really interested in seeing now, you know, I I, I was most interested by mm. him and the director and writer's chair for it to see if maybe he had something interesting and unique to say. You know, I, I don't think he did, but I yeah. wanted to give him a chance, you know. You know, and and it's when I say that I don't think that this will be good. I don't. I don't necessarily think it'll be a disaster. But like, let let's get very clear on this. This is they're staunching exactly. the bleeding at this point. This is a movie they already agreed to make. You know, and it's you know you can file this same thing for Justice League, whatever it turns out to be. Now that Joss Whedon is going to come in and uh, you know do the movie officially. Because Zack Snyder has has had to take off, most of it's already shot, they're going to reshoot a bunch of this movie for the third time, and it's probably going to be, you know, Warner Brothers taking the opportunity to say, okay, let's fix this even a little more. Basically, all of the stuff that was already in motion before Wonder Woman came out is going to come out and be whatever it was in the first place, probably not great. Probably with, you know, cleanup duty, I think Matt Reeves is probably... It's a smart move for him because, you know, how much worse of a job can he do than also Batman true. v Superman? I just, you know, I wanted to continue to see the upward scale hey. for him. That's the... Me too. Yeah, I, I think it'll be fine. And he is, you know, I'm sure that, I mean, Warner Brothers is giving away the store to filmmakers and producers who will come in and help them save this right now. You know, Joss Whedon signs, the first thing we hear is months ago, you know, uh, Joss Whedon gets a dream project at Warner Brothers to make his Batgirl movie, you know, 10 years after they told him take a hike on Wonder Woman and he went and made the Avengers. 
And it was like, wow, that's interesting. I thought he was burnt out on blockbusters. And also that, why would he go back and work for Warner Brothers? This is just unusual. What's going on here? And then it comes out that he has agreed to come in and save Batman uh, and save Justice League. And it's like, oh, okay. So he's getting an in-kind contribution for this. And I'm, I am, uh, I hope the Batman is decent. What I'm more interested to see is whatever movie Warner Brothers agreed to let Matt Reeves make in order to come and in. That, that and was really the point I wanted to get to. Is I think I think we're gonna get something completely bug nuts out of that guy for this, since er, since everything else has been kind of picking so. up existing things, right? You know, like oh, oh Clo- Cloverfield is an Abrams yeah. idea. You're just the director for hire. Oh yeah, wait, you happen to be pretty good. Okay. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna remake this vampire exactly, movie. Yeah. We don't really know why we're making this vampire movie, but here you go. And um, then you get the apes, which was already mm-hmm. you know the 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 it was already set up. The pins were set up for him to knock down, and he just took it to another level. This Batman movie, I, I hope, is just coasting. I hope it's not garbage. I don't think it has any yeah. way it's gonna be great. With Joss Whedon and the Justice League thing, I really hope this doesn't turn into um, what happened with where, where we find? I don't think this will happen with Joss Whedon because I actually think he's talented. But you know the big story with Superman Returns with Brian Singer was you know he turned down bullshit that the production company wanted to do with X Men Three. So then they just went and hired a director for hire to make X Men Three and make the movie they wanted. So when he finally wins his franchise back, yeah. you get Matthew Vaughn's brilliant X Men First Class. Produced by Brian Singer, uh, but then Brian Singer comes back to direct his mm. movies, and you realize maybe he didn't necessarily have the grand vision we thought he might. I, I, I don't, I don't want to see Joss Whedon get burnt yeah. out on superhero movies. I'd rather, I'd rather see more of the other stuff he wanted to do. The reason he left Ultron, you know, the I, I don't want to be pushed around by a studio. Yeah. This seems to be opening your doors to just get pushed around by a studio again. Um. I, I don't know, but people got to eat, yeah. I guess, is the long and short of it. Yeah, if I were Joss Whedon, I would be more worried about right now is just the worst time to be signing on as a prominent male feminist as as a, a to direct a female-centric yeah. superhero movie. Yeah. Because no matter what, the there's going to be the discussion of, after Wonder Woman, why did this job go to the Buffy guy and not exactly. to a female creator? And, you know, and of course, the answer is because Warner Brothers had no intention of making a fucking Batgirl movie unless Joss Whedon required them to do it in order yeah. to fix Justice League. Yeah, that, that's going to become difficult but, for uh, him. That, that's going to be neither <laughs> I, here I think. there. Yeah, that's, well, it, he, he, he's been taking that, you know, like the his old not great Wonder Woman script got passed around now that we can compare it to the new movie and it's been, you know, like very poorly received in, yeah. in kind of an unfair way in my opinion, for an unproduced screenplay. But, you know, it's... Exactly. Everyone takes their lumps. And it's... Uh, it, You know, it, uh, it, is, it is what it is. So it's... Um, I, I wish I could sound more hopeful, but everything other than watching Wonder Woman about the DC movies just makes me so I, I agree. Tired. I agree. And, and on that, you know, I'm tired. Um, <laughs> we... Uh, that went on a lot longer yep. than I expected, but the, the topic ended up being more interesting than I thought. So, uh, so, so that was good. Um, so yeah, exactly. I, th- I think we'll put it to a close. Yeah. Um, 
Thank you, thank you guys again for listening yeah. as always. Um, t- again, I'd like to plug that this show is uh, being now supported by my uh, Chris Chipman's Patreon. Um, that's patreon.com slash the Chippa, T H E C H I P P A, as Bob said earlier. Um, thank you again. Um, if you go there, you'll see some other material that I've been doing along with uh, the other podcast I'm creating geeks. I've started with my wife, which were one episode in. And there's another one on its way in a couple of weeks. Um, thank you again. Um, and again, as I always say, I'm Chris. I'm Bob. Thank you very much for coming along on the tangent. Have a great Have night. Good night, guy. Yeah, we or out. Good day. <laughs>